0: There's, I got I, I have to do something as a, as a woman who will never fear for my children's lives in the way that black women do
1: welcome to manic rambling spiral I'm John R Bray
0: and I'm Heather B Armstrong
1: and today we decided that it would be a really fun perfect time to talk about talking about race with our children because this has been for quite a while now and continues to be a very important topic to say the least
0: unfortunately continues to be I guess. Yeah. yeah somehow
1: we're still stuck at having to explain this to people i don't know why
0: I saw, I saw ver- just now a picture on Facebook that said, things aren't getting worse, things are just being uncovered. Which I thought was a really good way to put it.
1: Yeah, I guess I hadn't considered it or looked at it like that, but I think that's probably true with things like Twitter and Periscope and whatever. Now we're seeing all of the things that maybe some of us, you know, being that we're both white Mm -hmm. haven't really seen
0: haven't ever seen
1: right and it's sick
0: it's 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 very sick and disturbing and traumatic for an entire race of people and i was watching a sunday morning show and they were talking about you know the rise of the um individual journalist because we all now are equipped with phones which have the you know video capabilities and it was two white men talking about, what does this mean for us? <laughs> and I just wanted to like reach through the television and smack both of them and say, you guys are going to comment about what it means for people to have access to video and what that means for all of this. And you're going to wax poetic about the individual." It's like, you know what, why don't you ask somebody whose life is being impacted by this white journalist? Exactly. And that's what
1: we, I mean, it's it's hard though, right? Because it goes back to, you have a choice, I think, when you're white to either stay quiet because you don't know what to say or to try and say something. And I think a lot of times you're going to try and say something and it's going to be wrong. But as long as you're willing to understand why it's wrong and to maybe change the way you think or see it or say it next time, I think that's okay, but a lot of times you get these, you know, white journalists that talk about how it how it impacts them, how it impacts the white community, and that's kind of irrelevant in some ways.
0: It's com- well, it's completely irrelevant to the to the discussion at hand. And I wrote about this on my website um, about saying it wrong, about going about it all in the wrong way. And it started, if I can share this story. It started at the Mom 2.0 summit in 2014. I was scheduled to get on stage with four other people to talk about using our platform for uh good causes and to further, you know, to to raise our voices for something other than just, you know, t- uh, talking about our kids. And um <laughs> the conference organizer right before we go on stage for the keynote, they had a woman by the name of Kelly Wickham come on stage to read a blog post that she had written that year. It was a blog post that she wrote after uh, George Zimmerman had been acquitted of the murder of Trayvon. And she stood up on stage and everybody got really quiet and it was the most scathing and blistering and brilliant takedown of the entire mommy blogging community and
1: (laughs) and she she is a, a blogger right she is okay
0: and um i joke with her now because she and i have become very very close because of this um I, we joke now, and I'm like, "Yep, you stood up there, and you're like Heather Armstrong. I see you, <laughs> Heather Armstrong." She's like, "I, you know, I see you all, hashtagging gay pride. I see you all hashtagging feminist issues. I see you all hashtagging all all of these other really important social justice issues. But you will not raise your voice about race. Where are you, and why won't you do it?" And this is despicable behavior on your part why are you remaining silent when we who are a part of your community are facing this kind of injustice where are your voices and I I joke with her now because it was like every single time it was like Heather Armstrong I see you Heather Armstrong (laughs) (laughs) and I this is right before I'm supposed to go on stage and I sunk like lower and lower and lower into my seat because the whole time I'm thinking I don't know how to write about it. I don't know what to say because I am a privileged white woman who has never been denied anything because because of the color of her skin. In fact, I have such a a head start because of my upbringing and who and my parents and the color of my skin. And it's like how. Who am I to say anything about it? She put she lit a fire underneath the ass of everybody in that room. She got a little bit of, uh, of pushback from from a couple of idiots. I'll call them idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the first, like, gigantic bell that rang in this community in 2014 when she was like, I see you. Why are you not saying anything? And so now more and more people in the community are like, please don't remain silent when stuff like this happens. Like, we, we, we understand that you want to post a DIY birthday cake how-to. Fine.
1: Which is fine, yeah.
0: Which is fine, but you have a platform. Why are you not saying something?
1: Right. I mean, silence is worse than saying something wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just goes back, and I, I, I did read your post about this, and then I even went into Facebook and read the whole comment thread. But it, it just, <laughs> which, yeah, which was grand Which in some if, parts if
0: if somebody if they're unfamiliar with what happened on facebook i linked to a washington post article that quotes quite a few leaders in the black lives matter movement about what white people who feel helpless in this are privileged helplessness in this what we can do to make any significant um you know progress on this and the first comment on that facebook post was from a a woman that I graduated high school with, I didn't recognize her at all, and it's yeah. The language in her comment is just—it was just like my childhood. It was like I'm so tired of having to care about blah 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 blah, and I'm so tired. And all lives matter, and uh, and I, you know, I had a really really stressful week. I mean, the week was itself just horrifying, with night after night after night of something horrifying happening, and then the usual stress of everyone's work week and i just sort of lost it on her at one point because she wouldn't be quiet and i just i was like oh you're southern bless your fucking heart
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then everything kind of seriously derailed from there yeah and i I mean i think to anyone listening to this and maybe when we post this on manicramblings.com when this episode goes live we should put a link to that facebook post So that people can read the comments. Because I think from my perspective, you know, aside from some of the just worthless attacks back and forth, there were some really excellent points made that helped kind of clarify things for me in some ways. You know, you hear Black Lives Matter. That's the movement. And then there's all the, yeah, but all lives matter. And I, I know that that's not the direction we need to go. I get it. But someone, I don't even know who it was, in one of the comments said... That's not the point. It's just like when you say we have to save the rainforest, it doesn't mean fuck all of the other forests. It means these need our attention right now. So that's what we need to do. And that I I just think it's kind of an interesting way to look at it.
0: Well, it's not just the ones that need our attention. The rainforests are dying. Black people are dying.
1: Right. Like all lives do matter or should matter, but they clearly don't right now. And mm-hmm. that's the problem. That's why it's Black Lives Matter. There's there's a reason that that exists. So there there is there's I guess my point is there's definitely some good content in those comments right. for sure.
0: And and from the article that I linked to the the quote that I had pulled out talks about how white people have to do the work themselves, not black people. White people have to do the work of dismantling the system and teaching each other about racism in the institutions that perpetuate it and we are the ones who have to talk to each other we are the ones who have to open each other's eyes and that's our responsibility and I think that's where oh do I even say this that Facebook comment sections can be possibly a good thing is when you when you have someone who spent years being an ally which I know a lot of people really hate that word right now, but people who for years have been working on the front lines and in advocacy and have been doing this work who can come in with the language that needs to be shared and say, no, 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 this is how we talk about things, and this is how we frame things, and this this is how we get people to see their privilege. And... Hosting those conversations, I think, is super important, which is why I think it's so important to say something, because then it then it opens up the possibility of the conversation to happen. And that's where it has to start.
1: And the conversation has to start somewhere. And I, I know that in, in your blog post, you mentioned another woman that, you know, that you grew up with posted a very long comment that kind of slapped everybody back in line very appropriately. I mean, it was a very well written comment. Um
0: and <laughs> a black woman, my one of my best friends from high school, Shanae Boyd, who basically came in and said, shut up, all of you. <laughs> well, it was
1: basically it was shut up. This you're totally off topic. But, mm-hmm. but she mentioned and I, I wish I had it in front of me. And if I had Facebook, I could probably pull it up really easily. But she said something like, you know, you don't have to have the same opinion as somebody else, but you have to be willing to listen and realize that maybe your thought process is not correct, but that is the step. That's the piece that's like the crucial piece that's missing. Like right, like, sitting here right now, this is going to sound really strange, but I don't, I don't care if there are people out there that that are racist. If they're willing to sit down and say, okay, this is why I feel that way, and then I can say my side, and we both look at it and say, okay, well, what needs to change? But the problem is that people get so entrenched in their views. That they won't change. And when they're so entrenched in views that really have no foundation, it just creates this vicious cycle. And then to sort of segue into it, then, you know, these people who who have these racist feelings for no reason have kids. And then their children are raised to believe those same things because that's how it works with kids.
0: I think racist for no reason, um, I mean, I grew up in the South. I was racist for a reason because I was taught that. I was taught to feel that way. Oh that right. Was the I, no, that's yeah. yes.
1: So the reason is that you were taught that. But in terms of mm-hmm. why, like why do you not like black people, there, there, there's not a reason other than I was told to not like them. hmm You know, so then you then then you just kind of get stuck. Like, well, okay, but that's not really that's not really, that's not really an a good. Explanation. No yeah. like, <laughs> at all. But then talking to kids about it is a whole separate ball of wax. Because engaging with adults in conversation is one thing, but then trying to talk to your kids about it is totally different.
0: It's extremely different. It's extremely different in Utah than it is in Memphis, Tennessee, where I grew up. Um, The racial tension in Memphis is palpable everywhere you go. Um, The idea of race is everywhere. Um, It is the South. It is the heart of the South. And um, I think... And this is very this is this is gonna gosh, this shows you how far I've I have come and far I have to go. But I am one of those white people who thought, well, if my kids don't see color, then we're gonna fix this problem. Like if, if I can just teach my kids to be colorblind, then we can fix this problem. And all that does is perpetuate the problem because then you're just ignoring it.
1: Right. And I I yes. I struggle with that because I think you are ignoring it but you're but you're trying to do the right thing. I think people assume that not seeing color is fine because everyone's the same. But what about recognizing the difference and just and celebrating it and being okay with it? Mhm. You know, and I think w- what sort of opened my eyes to that notion was after the the tragedy in Orlando and uh someone I follow on Twitter, Jason Hudson he posted a couple of great Facebook responses to that, to that tragedy. Uh, You know, as, as a gay man, what is his response?
0: Oh, I know Jason.
1: Yeah. And they were incredible. And, and I don't know if it was both of them or the the second post, but sort of the, the essence was don't say that, that you don't care if I'm gay, that it doesn't matter. You know, embrace the fact, enjoy that fact and celebrate me being gay and still like who I am. Mm hmm. And, I've never viewed the, you know, I don't see color or I don't care if you're gay or this or that as a negative thing. But then hearing him kind of put it in that light gave it a different spin. You know, ignoring it or or just pretending that everything is equal across the board always and everyone is the same really just lets things slide.
0: It it lets the struggle and the, the inequality perpetuate. Yes. I actually had a conversation with several of my of the mothers and fathers at school I said how do you talk to your kid about race and their response was what do you mean <laughs> and I said well how do you talk to your kids about how do you talk to your kids about about race like about racism and their response was oh we don't I mean we aren't racist so what do you mean and that right there is the that's right there is a, a big, big, big disconnect in the white community is thinking, well, I'm not racist. So as long as I'm not exhibiting racist behavior to my children, then we don't really need to talk about it because they're obviously learning from my stellar example of not being racist. And then they were very surprised when when I said that I was starting to have Active conversations with Lita about it. Like, and they were like, why are you even bringing this up? Why are you teaching her to see color? And I was like, well, one is because her fellow classmates, her fellow black classmates, will grow up in, in a completely different paradigm than she will. And she will never have to worry about uh, being pulled over because a cop sees her skin color and is suspicious. Right. And the reality of what what I have to teach, like, I mean, I keep seeing this again and again and again in on social media is the, the different ways that that white people talk to their kids about police and the way that black people talk to their kids about police. And it's a their world's world, world part.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think the important thing, you know, like you're starting these conversations with Lita. Um, I've started to have them with Lexton. Um, but I want to sort of make this clear to everyone listening that we're not sitting here saying that we have the answers you know how you should have these conversations how they should go what you should say because we're kind of still i I guess maybe i don't want to speak for you heather but i'm still kind of figuring that out
0: oh we're as i go we are two fumbling white idiots (laughs) i
1: mean completely
0: completely yes
1: and i think you know when i talked to when i talked to lexton about it it's funny because his initial response is, why are you even talking to me about this? Like, why do we have to have this conversation? Because he doesn't care. Not, not he doesn't care about black people, but he doesn't even see why there's an issue because he doesn't see why there should be inequality. Yes. Which is, which is great because there really shouldn't be. But it makes it hard to initiate that conversation and to explain why we need to have it. Like you first you have to justify having the conversation, and then you have to have the conversation
0: you sort of especially with children Lexton and lita's age, you sort of you need to choose what you show them of what is happening. I mean the videos of uh, there's certain videos that i that lita shouldn't watch, oh, yeah, but there's certain segments of the news that I will have her in the room for so to give her context for the conversations that we do have,
1: which makes sense, yeah I mean, you can only you can only shelter so much.
0: And this goes I think what you spoke to like my kids have never seen uh, and will never n- understand why uh, um, gay people were denied the right to to marry. It, for them it has been a non issue since they were born. It's just not. And I think their generation is just going to scratch their heads and their children their children are going to be like what? That was ever an issue and That we haven't come that far in terms of um, racial equality is astounding because this has been I mean, this has been going on for 400 years. But yeah, we still have us talking about this is I mean, I'm sure that there are a lot of people making a jerk off motion. (laughs) But I think it, it bears at least explaining that I grew up in a very racist household now. My parents would take issue with that, and that's fine. That is how they look at it. But my parents grew up in Jim Crow South. they grew up when bathrooms were segregated and schools were segregated, and you couldn't drink from the same water fountain. I mean, they grew up in that system and in in those places, and so my childhood was littered with well they're good people but so i (laughs) i grew up having with racist ideas thinking that i wasn't racist and i'm so ashamed that i didn't recognize it earlier
1: when did you recognize it
0: this is an interesting story thank you for asking that question (laughs) So do you remember Ebonics?
1: Do I remember? Uh, yeah.
0: It was a huge when, – when the idea of Ebonics came out, I'm pretty sure it was in the late 80s, early 90s, um, there was a huge debate about it, of course, in the South, because how are we ever going to um, make black people civilized if we let them continue to talk the way they talk? like that was how the the discussion was framed. Right. Like we can't encourage ebonics because that's uncivilized. Like they need to they need to talk like civilized people. Oh my god. <laughs> Welcome to my childhood. And my parents were very vocal about this. And in like this is just ridiculous. We're indulging them. They want another handout. We're indulging this, you know, behavior that is unbecoming. And I, and this goes back to the divorce where I tried to to make my mom happy. So I, I, my mother was the most important person in my life and making her happy was my number one priority in life. And I believed everything that she told me, um, it's very anti-intellectual of me, but it was like, her love was so important to me that I never questioned anything.
1: Which I don't think is uncommon for kids.
0: I guess not. Lita questions me all the time. <laughs> right.
1: right. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of questioning in some areas, but I think there's other things that she just takes mm-hmm. at face value because you said that, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, she was so, so with my mother. I, you know, so it's, they had that, that opinion about Ebonics, so I did. I adopted the opinion because I was my parents, and how can my parents be wrong, And I was taking a linguistics class my junior year of college. And it was, um, I was reading an essay by a woman who was explaining why Ebonics was needed and necessary and made sense. And I I saw the title of the essay and I was like, you know, I started reading the essay and I don't know what happened. But as like two two sentences into the essay, I was like, "Oh, she's right." Wait a minute! Like it this just article, like this, this completely makes sense. Like, there's a reason that ebonics would help the certain certain black communities, many black communities, and it made complete sense to me. And I remember going back to where I the the apartment that I lived in, and my whole world kind of did a little pretzel movement and turned in on itself and I was like, wait a minute. And this is, I'm so embarrassed to admit that it took me that long to go, what else are my parents wrong about?
1: Then you (laughs) question everything.
0: Everything. I went back and I started to question and that's when I, that's when I realized that I didn't believe in the church anymore.
1: Wow. So this was a big turning point. It was a
0: big turning point. It broke open everything, like everything. It just, just cracked it open like an egg and I realized oh wait a minute I've been brainwashed about this and I've been brainwashed about this and I've been brainwashed about this and I don't think it, it was ever the intention was harmful it was just that that is how they grew up that was what they grew up knowing and they taught me what they knew and I did not know to question it.
1: Right. Well, because, yeah, that's what they were taught. They didn't mm-hmm. question it. So that's what they teach you. You didn't question it. And had you not ever questioned it, that's what you would have taught Lita and Marlo, because that's how it works. It takes someone to stop and say, hang on, does this make sense? Mm-hmm. Which is what you did. I mean, I was raised, I guess, in a, in the opposite, but kind of a similar community because in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, there are, you know, when I was growing up, like almost no black people at all. I mean, I, I can think very specifically my entire K through 12 school career, there were five. <laughs> like I can count. That's, that's what it was like. And three of them were training at a USOEC center for boxing and came up from Detroit. So really just two that were like born and raised and lived there for my K through 12 career. So everyone was sort of in this, well, there aren't any black people, but we don't really have any problem with black people. There just aren't any. So we won't, we won't talk about it because there's nothing to talk about. Mm -hmm. And it, it goes back to that saying, like if you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem. So to stay in that middle ground, you're you're not only not helping but you're harming and If there are people listening that are doing the jerk off motion that these two white people are trying to figure this out, that's really not helping maybe maybe everything we're saying is total shit, but we're trying to find the right things to say, and you have yeah. to start somewhere you have to
0: you have to start somewhere and i my my friend kristen howerton one she has this great quote I don't have it in front of me, but it basically says, you know." When we talk about white privilege, we are not, it's not a personal attack on you. And we are not taking away from the fact that you grew up in the South as a white person and in, in a poor, poor, poor neighborhood with, um, you know, seven brothers and sisters. And you grew up with no money and you pulled yourself up and you graduated from college and you now have a stellar career. We're not taking away from that when we say white privilege when we say white privilege, we're talking about an institutionalized systemic problem that has given our color of skin such a head start so as this litany of problems has unfolded and perpetuated for years. And I think that for me was like, how, how do I start conversations with people about their privilege who don't see it? And it's like, I'm I'm not taking away everything that you've done. I'm what you've done is amazing that you pulled yourself out of what you grew up in is incredible and I'm not taking away from that. But when you look at a black person in black communities and you want to blame you want to blame crime and you want to blame homicides and black on black crime I hate it when people oh, yeah. turn to that argument. We're looking at a a framework that was built into the system of how this country works that has perpetuated problems of uh, financial problems, education problems, you know, has destroyed families. Like, it it pulls families apart. And what the destruction of the family and what that has done to black communities – and it has nothing to do with, with anything that you've accomplished in your life. No. And that's where I try to start with people who are just like, what do you mean? I'm not racist. I don't understand why I have to have this conversation with you.
1: Yeah. And I, not, I think, not understanding it, not seeing it, is that's part of white privilege. Like that's mm-hmm. how it is. I mean, white people are put into a system that wants them to succeed. And I feel like black people are put into a system that, doesn't really give a shit like if you succeed great if you don't we'll we'll blame you rather than saying okay well why didn't you mm-hmm. was it you or was it the system and, it, and it's not like you said it's not a personal thing to say that you know a, a white person is solely responsible for this like that this one person who succeeded is bad but it is just this systemic issue
0: five black people um in your entire k through 12 experience is that what you said yes yeah so so utah is when you say diverse in utah you mean non-mormon
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow okay
0: you <laughs> like, we moved into a diverse neighborhood that means a non-mormon neighborhood <laughs> and um So I think part of, I sat down with Lita one night, it was, um, oh God, it was a couple of years ago, I sat down with her and I asked her if she had any black kids in her class and she was explaining to me that she doesn't see color and I had to, you know, have the conversation with her where it's important that she, she needs to see color. And I think one of the reasons that she doesn't is that there just is not much diversity here whatsoever.
1: Right. So she literally doesn't see it.
0: She doesn't see it. No. Yeah. And even, even, um, and her school is actually pretty diverse in the non Mormon way. I, there's several, um, people of color in her class. And, um, but she still doesn't see part of it is that I haven't instilled in her a notion, well, that black kid, his parents are lazy. Like that was what I was taught. And so I have not perpetuated that on her. So she doesn't see, she's not making a differentiation because of the color of these, of anybody's skin. Yeah. Um. So, but I, one of the, um one of the things that I see said over and over again from the voices that I follow online is if you want to make uh, one of the ways that you can really affect change is to diversify your friend group. Like actually, I know you say you have black friends, but <laughs> actually go out and make friends who are people of color. And, um, and learn from them and be a part of their communities. And I think in Utah, it's kind of comical because people will be like, well, we want to move into this one neighborhood because, um, there are at least five black people in the class. And we specifically want to go to the school for that reason. it's like, oh, God, when did this, when does this become artisanal? You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. Like, it's so, people, liberals here are so desperate to find, um, are so desperate to diversify their friend group or the experience for their child that it's become this weird pursuit almost. And it's, at some point it's like, oh, okay, when does this become strange and wrong?
1: Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's almost like a whole different Mm Quite, but but I think the the real issue is that it seems strange and wrong because looking for diversity, like because we have to look for diversity, but that in itself is kind of odd, like to have mm-hmm. to seek it out. I mean, I, I know that there there are going to be some areas that might be predominantly more mm-hmm. more black or more white, and for for whatever reason. I mean I'm not it's not like I think every single city in the world should be equally split, because what if people just don't want to live there? I don't know. I don't you know it's preference, but I'm sorry- I mean, nothing is ever going to be completely evenly balanced because choice comes into it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: right? Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I know I'm towing an awkward line here, but that's that's not my my point, but the fact is that you live in an area. Where there's so little diversity that people have to try and find it and latch onto it. And that's what makes it feel awkward. They shouldn't have to try to find it. It should just be there. Right?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, and I guess I'm not gonna say who said this because I don't want I don't wanna make anybody mad, but let's just <laughs> say that somebody that I know moved here from the south and said these words over a dinner one night, said oh, it's not the black ones you have to worry about, it's the brown ones here. What? And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that we, myself, and my family could do a better job of getting involved in the Latina community. There's a, there's a huge Latina community here in, in, um, in Utah.
1: That's how it is here as well, actually. Huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge, huge. Very, very few... Black people, again, but a huge Latina community. Huge. But that's interesting. Like, immediately that's what they, they move there, and that's what they latch onto.
0: Yeah. And in this community huh. is being assaulted by the idea of a fucking wall, right?
1: Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, there's a lot of outreach that we could do there as well.
1: But I think it's so easy when you are white to not realize how white your life is if that makes sense.
0: Mhm.
1: I mean, we, you know, we we have I I don't know, this was when Lexton was maybe 3 or or 4 or something. I think he was probably, you know, 3. And he was picking me up from work with with Heather one day. And I worked with one black man. That was it, just one. And he, you know, and he he would always make comments about it. Like they had to have him there because they needed one, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I didn't think much about it because that's a mistake. But So they picked me up, and I got in the car, and he could see in the building. And he said, he just kind of went, huh, who's the brown guy? I'm like, brown guy? What are you? And he's like, yeah, right there, the brown guy. And we, we both sat there, like, not really comprehending it, and it just dawned on us both, like, there are so few black people in this community that maybe he's never really seen any and noticed the difference, you know. It wasn't a, it wasn't like a criticism. He just noticed like, we're all white. That guy is brown. Like that's that's different for me.
0: But and that was an innocent, an innocent. Oh, it was totally an innocent yeah.
1: observation. But it made me realize like, wow, I'm. It's I lead such a white life in every single aspect of everything that I do. And this this guy, his his name was Robert. But when he would answer the phone, I I heard it once, and I I asked him about it. He would answer it as Bob, and his voice would totally change. And he hung up, and I said, what the hell was that about? He said, I live in a white community. He's like, I answer the phone like a white guy. (laughs) Like that's exactly, like flat out. And he was just straight-faced about it, and I didn't even, hadn't even occurred to me. And it's that kind of stuff that when it comes up and I realize that it hasn't occurred to me, Then I just feel even worse. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't even have to think about that stuff, but you do. Like, that's part of your everyday life. That is his everyday. Yeah. It's, but, but, you know, having that opportunity when, when a three year old says, Who's the brown guy? I could have said any number of horrible things. And that would have just started him down that path.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or even not horrible, but just kind of horrible. I mean, like the comments that you probably got growing up, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, don't you, you can't blame him. They're all just lazy. Like, then you can say, well, I'm not racist. It's just a fact. But <laughs> exactly. it's bullshit. Right. Yeah, and I realized just how easy it would be to take that path. And it kind of helps you see how how racism just continues. I don't want to say innocently, but it kind of it kind of is because, like you said, that's what I was taught.
0: And you have generations of Southerners who has been passed down one to the next, to the next, to the next, which is why I saw this on Facebook this morning. We keep referencing Facebook; we're so old. Um, I saw this woman posted this glorious, glorious essay this morning and said that. We live in this world. She has to teach her son. We live in a world where five police officers are killed, and every flag in in the country is lowered to half mast. Yet, when t- twelve black churchgoers are killed by a white man, you have you have hundreds, if not thousands, of angry Southerners. Screaming about their right to wave the rebel flag, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and it's and that example is not meant to say that we shouldn't show remorse for the police officers, but it's why is there not remorse for the for the churchgoer? Like, why why doesn't that exist? There should be on both sides remorse,
0: and it's opening up. It's it it. it, I think this conversation is sort of twofold. It's like, how do we open up the eyes to those who refuse to see um, the adults who refuse to see um, the problem? And then how do we start talking to our children about what's happening and how they have to play a vital role and how things change? Um, I think I mentioned, i read read an interview with Brad Pitt, of all people, who was like, you know, our our kids' generation is will will see gay activism as like that is something that happened and we we have no comprehension of why it had to happen. Like, well, duh, of course they should be able to marry and have equal rights. And I think Lita and Lexton's generation, especially if we if we can open more eyes and more gets revealed, and more gets recorded, and more gets released, and more gets talked about. That their generation is going to be pivotal in all of this, in this sea change happening. If a sea, if a, if a sea change can occur. I mean, I'm a white privileged person using that word, and, you know, you you have. I listened last week to so many of my friends online, just like. Not want they're like they, they I didn't want to get up in the morning, you know I don't want to get up tomorrow morning and see something else because it it was it it kept hitting them like a, a wave crashing over them again and again and again and again at some point at some point you you're just so tired they've got to, they're so tired of it all
1: yeah it, and it's it's almost we're almost reaching a point of growing dangerously numb to it you know like you you know i You wake up and you read the headline and there's almost this part of my brain. It's like, oh, it happened again because it happens all the time. Like, what do you, I I don't, I'm not numb to it. It's not that I don't care, but I guess I see, I read these headlines and I'm no longer shocked and that's seriously problematic.
0: For me, what happened watching all these women on Facebook recording themselves talking about their children and how all of this makes them afraid for their children, what I did is I thought for a minute about what it would be like, and I will never know this, I will never truly know this, what it would be like to fear my child leaving the house every day. And so my kids just left for New York for five weeks and i have like i am so privileged to be able to miss them to be able to cry myself to sleep at night because i'm going to miss them so much you know they've only been gone here just a few days and
1: right you're not going to worry you're just I'm going not, to miss them i'm not
0: going to worry i'm going to miss them and and i don't like i can see as a as a as a black woman sending my kids away for 5 weeks and being absolutely terrified that they would not come home yeah and that's the difference is That for me is like, there's, I gotta, I I have to do something as a, as a woman who will never fear for my children's lives in the way that black women do.
1: Yeah. And I I think, I mean, I've, I've sort of gotten myself to a point where I look at it and yes, you're white, but you are a woman. So you are a minority in, in one sense. I am a white
0: man. Like you're pretty white
1: like the catalyst of every horrible issue that you see. I mean, it's disgusting and it's embarrassing. And I've gotten myself to a point where, you know, I know that I will never ever be able to understand that fear. I I won't, I won't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a mom, but I'll never have to, I'll never have to have that fear. But the, the point isn't to try and understand what that fear is like, I don't think. I think the point is to understand why I won't ever understand it. Mm-hmm. Like, what system, is, what system exists that makes it impossible for me to understand what they're going through? Because that's kind of what we're looking at. I can never be in their shoes. It won't happen in this country. No. But that's not the point. The point is understanding why I think that's sort of how I'm viewing it when I'm going into this and saying, well, how do I need to educate myself? What do I need to do so that I can better understand and so that I can talk to my son about it? So that you can
0: make a difference.
1: Right. And that's, I think what sort of makes it hard though, is because I'm looking to understand why I don't understand. And it's, it's a really big gray area. It's important. It's not that, wow, well, it's difficult, so I'm not going to do it. But it is, it's a beast to tackle because it's been ignored for so long.
0: I think a lot of w- what, where white people can start is with a lot of reading. There's a lot of writing that has been done on, um, that, that can, that helps to educate us and helps us to realize how the system works and is in place, and the, the machinations of it. And the book that Kelly Wickham recommended to me—the first one to read was called—and we can put a link to this on the website. Um, it's called *The Warmth of Other Suns* by Isabel Wilkerson, and it's a it's a sprawling, gorgeous narrative about the Great Migration. And you should definitely read it because chicago um it it actually follows the story of a family that ended up in chicago um from the south a family that ended up in new york chicago and i believe la and it talks about how it's one of the the biggest migrations of the last um century of people one of the biggest migrations people period um happened in last century happened you know over a a 60-year period in the United States where people fanned out from their homeland and populated the rest of the United States and had to somehow make a, a life for themselves in these cities. And these cities, what, what happened is that these cities saw this huge influx of, of Black people coming from the South, and systems immediately got put in place to subjugate them. And those and the, and they and those systems are still in place today. And you definitely should have read it because it talks a lot about what has gone on in Chicago.
1: Yeah. No, I saw that you had a, like a list of, I don't know, mm-hmm. a half dozen no, like at least a dozen probably books. And I will admit to being one of those people that didn't really know what to do. And I wanted someone to kind of tell me or help me. And I think it was that article that you linked to on Facebook. It was like, you know, it's not, it's not our job to tell you. You need to. You need to figure it out mm-hmm. like it's already out there. the information is out there if you want it, and you got to start somewhere you have to start somewhere
0: yes reading reading is a really wonderful thing
1: yes, and it's I mean, critical in this I mean, case for
0: me it started with for me it started with an essay about Ebonics. I mean that changed my entire worldview yeah. well, you let it change it I'd like i want to th- I want to say that I was smart enough, but I'm not that smart <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and maybe it just came at, at the right time for you yeah without you really realizing it i mean maybe it just hit at the right time but it needs to hit more people at the right time Mm -hmm. i mean it, it just does
0: well and i and i and i need to learn from kelly's example to me and see god bless her god bless this woman because she could have been you know what fuck you heather armstrong like you are a goddamn adult go read a fucking book. Like she could have just like written me off and said, I'm not going to do your goddamn work for you. And she was so level-headed with me and said, start with this book. This is a great place, you know, especially considering your family's history. This is going to be something very meaningful to you. She started a dialogue with me and which I think is important for us as white people to do with each other. Me screaming at someone is not going to... You know, move the meter at all. It's it's about here. Let me break it down for you (laughs) again. Like you're not going to run into a children's hospital and scream. Well, there are are adult sick people too. You know, I saw that tweet somewhere. Yes. Yeah. Let me break this down for you in a very calm, matter of fact, very rational, logical, and even warm way. I think white people have to. This is in, white people have to be fragile with the fragile whiteness in order to, to destroy the fragile whiteness.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And I've seen a lot of good analogies come out on places like Twitter. And I don't remember uh, that comedian. Oh, I can't remember her name. I just drew a blank on it. it starts with an A. I know that you follow her as well. A perna nonchala? Yes, thank mm-hmm. you. And I don't remember exactly how she worded it but it was something like you know saying, "All Lives Matter is like going to a funeral and saying, "Today' is also my birthday, so can you not?
0: So can we like, not
1: <laughs> like, And it's such a great way to look at it. I mean, it really like it, it really simplifies it. like yeah,' it's, it might also be this, but it, that doesn't change the reality of what's in front of us. no but but yelling and screaming and you know, to go back to that Facebook post. Blaming it on the liberals, or blaming it on the conservatives, or blaming it on Hillary, or blaming it It, on—none of that shit matters at all. And all it does is let people write things off, be like, "Ah, they're liberals. We don't need to listen." Yeah, you do need to listen. We might not agree politically, but this—that doesn't matter here. Mm -hmm. It just derails everything. I and I think it. I think it's like this intentional subconscious thing. Like, I don't really know how to talk about this. They must be liberal. They must be conservative. And that I know how to talk about because I can just yell about it. And it's easier than race.
0: Yes. It's easier than confronting something that you've believed and thought to be very true for your entire existence. It's much easier to to label things and, and scream and yell and block than it is to engage in You know, and it it has to happen on, on, like, I have to be able to say, okay, this is a conservative woman from the South, and this is, this is her experience, and this is her fragile white feelings, and it's my responsibility as a white woman to deal with her white fragility, not a black person. That black person does not need to deal with that white woman's fragility. No.
1: No, they have to deal with everything else that we've dumped on them to deal with.
0: Well, that we've built and institutionalized
1: well exactly it's like i think turning to black people and saying you know help us see is kind of like saying can you explain to us what we did wrong and then you need to fix it too (laughs) like that's that really defeats everything and i mean i'm i don't want to just sound all chipper and cheery like everything's going to be great but i'm hopeful with what social media has done to expose this you know that's kind of how we started this whole episode you know that it's always been there, but now we're seeing it, and I don't want to see it. I don't want Lexton to see it. I don't want anyone to experience it, but I think seeing it is already has been and is going to continue to be a huge catalyst for change. I hope
0: you hope i mean things things will probably get a lot worse than they before they get better oh yeah um but someone someone in my facebook comments you know was like what are, what are what's a list of really good books for kids where can i start with my kids in terms of talking to them and someone linked to a, a, an article that lists several really really good books for kids and we can link to that on on our um on on the website when this goes live and um just tools for you to get the the ball rolling with your children especially if you live yeah. in states where there isn't much to talk about (sighs) because diversity is means non-Mormon.
1: And I I will say that, and maybe I've just not seen these in the past. Maybe they've been there and I haven't seen them. But over the last, you know, week or two, I've seen a lot of people linking to, I don't know if it's the same document and it just keeps evolving, but a Google document on how people who are not black can help, what they can do. Not, and it's, these documents are very intentionally not written, like, let us teach you, but here are places to go and things to do to teach yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, but it's not written in like a, we don't have time or we don't care. It's if you really care here, we took the time to put this together. Now you need to take the time to educate yourself. And it's, it's full of book recommendations and websites and phone numbers to call and things to get involved in and, and organizations to start. And it's, it's awesome. And I'll see, I've, I've seen it pop up on Twitter dozens of times and i'll see if i can find that to include as well because i found it really really valuable
0: yeah i would like to see that i don't know why i haven't come across that yet i, I
1: mean i think there's so much happening with all of this that you, you and especially on twitter you really only get pieces mm-hmm. right because there's so much information coming in and a lot of it is not great because that's how this that's how this is going to go for a while but in the meantime i, I think the best that anybody can do is to what I mean teach teach their kids to see color
0: before my kids left we I hosted a a final sleepover and a couple of their friends were over um for the night and I I like to turn on the the evening news I know it's terrible it's gross like they sensationalize and then they distort things but I like to turn on the, the the NBC nightly news with Lester Holt and i started to turn it on and Lita's friend was like i'm not going to watch this and i was like really you don't want to watch because i don't watch the news it's never good news it's it's always terrible and i'm not her mom but i did say this i said well that's why you should watch it yeah uh, you i don't think i don't think that you should be avoiding it not even even at 12 i don't think you should be avoiding it i know i know you still have your innocence but there's there's a lot of work to be done and uh we we have to start exposing our children to 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 all of it
1: oh yeah well and i think i mean like like we said earlier there are certain things that we don't want them to be exposed to at least not initially right certain videos or certain whatever but you know my mom doesn't let me watch it because it's all bad so it's like we we edit out things that are pretty significant but if you look at what's being absorbed on social media or, in the movies they watch, or in the music they listen to and i'm I'm not a fan of censorship in anything that's not what i'm getting at, but to censor out reality and nothing else, it just doesn't make sense mm-hmm. i mean i'm that's with the you. Point. the news is shit sometimes I mean they do sensationalize, they do spin but if if your choices is watch it and try to make your own decisions or just pretend it doesn't exist, your best option is to probably watch it and come to your own conclusions about it. Otherwise, you, you just, you stay ignorant. And ignorance is the most dangerous thing.
0: If we, if we watch it with our children, we can give them context and we can give them direction.
1: Exactly. And it's not easy, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it.
0: No, and I know we would love to hear from from you about how you talk to your children about these things. and how where you live affects how you talk about these things and what your upbringing was like and how that has um, informed things. We would love to hear your stories, and you can email them to us at stories at managramblings.com, and you can reach out to us on social media as well at Managramblings on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We'd love to hear from you.
1: And until next time, start the conversation with your kids and your white friends and teach people to see color.
0: And when a high school friend of yours gets on Facebook and says, I'm just so tired of... Take a big deep breath. And it's your responsibility to deal with her fragility. Many thanks to Tan Lines for the soundtrack to Lisa Congdon for the cover art, and to Ryan Coomer for his expertise with the editing stuff. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.